welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And it is that magical time again where we review a Harry Potter film. That's right. We're up to... Number five, Order of the Phoenix, released in 2007. Yes, and we have officially hit the mark of, I have not seen this. I've seen this multiple times, but Scott, I want to know, from a first-time perspective, what are your overall thoughts on the movie? My overall thoughts are, it's a little better than Goblet, because Goblet seems like so much was crammed in there. Again, I think the first three are better. But it's still an enjoyable movie. Yes, I would pretty much agree with all of that. I think this is a lot more focused. And what I like about this also, which I didn't really... I didn't really realize because I had never watched these movies before from like an analytical standpoint, I guess. This is one of the first movies that has like a real clear philosophical message, you know? The rest of them are all about the story, characters, or like just the whimsy of magic but this is the first one that has like a real message underneath everything which essentially is standardized testing is bad well yes that's a pretty universally understood message but the message that i'm talking about is essentially it's better to have people you love around you and face your troubles with other people that you love rather than face everything by yourself Generally speaking, this is seen as one of the lesser of the Harry Potter films. Uh, It is the lowest rated one with a a 77% critic score, which isn't that bad. It's just comparatively with the others, it's the lowest. It's one of the two Harry Potter movies that was not nominated for any Oscars. And it is the only film in the OG Harry Potter film series that was not written by Steve Cloves. This was written by... A Mr. Michael Goldenberg, who is known as a co-writer on 2011's Green Lantern film. Yeah, we know how Ryan Reynolds feels about that movie after Deadpool 2. And then after that movie, he doesn't have another credit. That's it. Green Lantern destroyed this man and destroyed his career. Green Lantern destroyed a lot of careers. What I found interesting about this is that like it had a similar problem that Goblet of Fire had, which was there's so much in the book that you have to condense down to one movie because this is the longest book. This book is 870 pages, and I read every single one of them in preparation for this episode. <laughs> there was a lot that was left out of the movie, but I think this movie did a lot better job at creating a coherent narrative than Goblet. This one definitely seemed like they were better at streamlining it. Yeah, it was more cohesive. And I think, too, it focused more on Harry's like emotional turmoil throughout this whole year at Hogwarts. In Goblet, it focused a lot more on the action-y stuff, like the tasks and the effects. It almost was a little bit too much going on in different directions, if that makes sense. So the movie was directed by David Yates, yet another director for the Harry Potter film franchise. He was chosen for his experience with more, quote-unquote, edgy and political films. 
and he is behind the Fantastic Beasts series, which I <sighs> fucking hate. Oh. We're not talking about it on this show. Fuck that series. It sucks. <laughs> it just... It sucks. Just quick thoughts on that series. The first one's okay at best. It's watchable. The second one, not watchable. We went to see the second one in the theater, and I saw Ezra Miller in the movie. Totally forgot that he was in the first movie. And I was like, who the fuck is that? Why is Ezra Miller here? And Scott's like, he was in the first one. I'm like, no, was he? (laughs) I totally (laughs) forgot. So I think we can get into this now. Okay. If you are prepared, darling. I am as prepared as I am going to be. So we open up this movie as we do with every Harry Potter movie, except for the fourth one, with the Dursleys. Yes. We're at this playground. Harry is sitting on the swing, minding his own business, and Dudley pops up with his gang of little stupid gangster wannabe white boys, and he just starts picking on Harry and being Uh, a dickhead. Why is this a trope in so many fucking movies? What, like the bully trope? No, 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 no. that's the bully trope. The bullies who make fun of a kid whose parents have died. Oh my god, yeah. At one point, Dudley is talking shit to Harry, and he's like, where's your mom, Potter? Is she dead? And it's like, ew, what the fuck? No one would do that. Do all adults who write for kids think, oh, what's something I can make fun of this kid for? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, kids are cruel, don't get me wrong. But I feel like no kid would make fun of another kid for their mom being dead. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) So as Dudley and Harry are having this confrontation, suddenly the entire scene just turns dark. Harry and Dudley proceed to be chased by Dementors. One of the Dementors grabs Harry and is about to suck out his soul. One of them is doing the same thing to Dudley, even though Harry tells Dudley, run for your fucking life. But for some reason, because he's such a fat fuck, he trips on nothing. But ultimately, Harry does get the upper hand, fights off the Dementors. And as he is standing over Dudley, trying to like shake him out of the trauma that just occurred, he sees a little old lady and he's like, oh, Mrs. Fig, hello. Like, don't be concerned about this half-conscious young boy at my feet. The little old lady walks over to him. You should keep your wand out, Harry. You don't know if they might come back. And he's like, what? And the old lady's like, I'm just here because Dumbledore sent me to look after you. And he's like, wait, you know Dumbledore? What the fuck? You've lived here for years. Like, how do you know Dumbledore? <laughs> Another person that they could have left Harry with rather than the Dursleys. Yeah, no, no. Well, okay. I'm so glad you brought this up, Scott. If you haven't listened to our other Harry Potter episodes so far, a common complaint that Scott has lodged at me, mainly (laughs) me, because he can't really yell at the movie. The movie isn't a person. I'm a person. And he yells at me because he's like, why does Harry have to stay with the fucking Dursleys? I don't get this. And I'm like, Scott, everything will be explained in time. I feel like Maz Kanata. A good question for another time. Guess what, Scott? Now is the time. Well, not right now, but in this episode will be the time. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because it's not explained in the movie, but it is explained in the book why Dumbledore insisted on Harry staying with the Dursleys every summer. 
And I, when it gets to the time that it is explained in the book, I will explain it to you and it probably won't be enough for you. But I'm going to explain it and you're just going to have to accept it because the books are the books and the movies are the movies and you get what you get and you don't get upset. Okay? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Second question. Oh, God. Okay. There's more. (laughs) Great. Go ahead. (laughs) Why the fuck did the mentors attack here? Well, I can't see another thing that isn't explained in the movie. But is explained in the book. Now, there is a point in the movie where our villain, Professor Umbridge, she's basically accusing Harry of being a big fat liar about this whole Dementor attack. And she says, oh, well, the Dementors work for the Ministry. So it sounds like you're saying that someone at the Ministry sent this attack on this boy. In the movie, it's not really addressed again, and you're just led to believe that Voldemort sent the Dementors to attack, which is fine, I guess. But in the book, Dolores Umbridge actually sent the Dementors to attack Harry because he was spreading, as far as she was concerned, lies about Voldemort being back. So she wanted to not kill him, suck out his soul, and basically turn him into a vegetable, I guess. So he couldn't. Tell lies no more. Rational decisions. Right? This is our villain, guys. It's going to be a trip. Okay. Um, After Harry helps Dudley home, because he is still incredibly traumatized by this experience with the Dementors. The little shit who gets his life saved by Harry freaking Potter. Points at and blames Harry for this fucking thing. What the fuck, Dudley? He saved your fucking life well vernon and petunia don't see it that way but right as they're at the height of their pissed offness harry gets a letter sent to him from the ministry saying that he is expelled from hogwarts effective immediately have a nice day fuck you man for using a a patronus in front of a muggle yes and there are rules in regards to underage magic but there are exceptions if you're fighting for your fucking life so the logic of this is you think this kid after everything that's happened to him willy-nilly decided to do a patronus for no reason but the dursleys decide to take dudley to a hospital and while harry is sitting up in his room there is a, a, a crew of witches and wizards come barreling through the door to rescue Harry and some of those witches and wizards include Mad-Eye Moody who we met in the last movie although this is actual Mad-Eye Moody not fake Mad-Eye Moody oh so no David Tennant no but it's still Brendan Gleeson so we're in a good spot oh yes yes exactly and among them we also have uh, a new character named Nymphadora Tonks, although you can't call her Nymphadora. She doesn't like her name Nymphadora. She just goes by Tonks. And she's cool. She's like a little shapeshifter. She always changes the color of her hair. She's a badass. She's played by Natalia Tenya. And these people are members of the Order of the Phoenix. And cue the joke. Ah, ah, he said it. He said it. I love that joke. Anyway. <laughs> The last time Voldemort was back and ready for action, Dumbledore assembled this army called the Order of the Phoenix, and they fought Voldemort. This crew of witches and wizards 
take Harry out of the Dursley house and they go to the Order of the Phoenix HQ, which conveniently is the Black family house from the days of old. And Sirius Black is at this house and Harry reunites with him. He reunites with all the Weasleys and Hermione and it's a good time. But the kids are kind of being sheltered from the actual real meat and potatoes of the order business because both ron and hermione were sworn by dumbledore not to message harry about the ongoings yes and harry is pissed about that and he makes it known that he's pissed about that but what they are told about this from the adults in the room is that the ministry is basically trying to discredit Dumbledore and Harry, saying that Voldemort isn't really back. And Dumbledore is trying to take over the ministry. Yeah. Cornelius Fudge, who's the Minister of Magic, is a fucking crazy paranoid asshole. All the adults are pretty protective, especially of Harry, because Harry is very gung-ho. Like He wants to be a part of the Order, and he wants to fight Voldemort. And the only adult in the room that's really willing to allow him a chance to really fight is serious i i really do like a that gary oldman is really in this movie at all because they kind of did the character of series dirty in the last movie because they really cut his role out a lot but in this movie they make up for that a lot because they really develop the relationship between him and harry a lot yeah oh definitely they definitely do a good job building the relationship between the two of them throughout this movie whenever something goes wrong Oh, yeah, they blame Sirius Black, and it's like, fuck off. This (laughs) is so ridiculous. Like, every time, it's just like, Sirius Black killed more people. Sirius Black is kidnapping our children's. (laughs) Our children's. (laughs) Sirius Sirius Black melted steel beams on (laughs) 9-11. Sirius Black is climbing up your windows. (laughs) He's snatching your people up. Trying to rape him, so you need to hide your kids. That's a fucking deep cut. Okay. Um, they also tell Harry that Dumbledore was able to suspend his expulsion from Hogwarts pending a hearing at the ministry. So Arthur Weasley the next day takes him to this hearing. They really try and fuck Harry here at every fucking turn, man. Who is this Cho Chang? <laughs> Because um, they're trying to fuck Harry. <laughs> anyway, he goes into this room and it's like a bajillion wizards in these fucking officially type robes. And they're all sitting there just staring down at him very intimidatingly. Cornelius Fudge is leading the hearing. Harry has zero representation. Seeing as how he's 15 at this point, just seems really unfair and fucked up but you know whatever <laughs> but who comes strolling into room to save today albus percival wolfric brian dumbledore you you got our message that the time and place of the hearing had been changed did you i must have missed it but by a happy mistake i arrived at the ministry three hours early Uh, So Fudge immediately goes in on Harry and he's like, well, you have no witnesses to this Dementor attack you you claim happened. So, you know, what the fuck? And Dumbledore's like, ah, 
but there is a witness. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And then lo and behold, in the witness's chair is little Mrs. Fig from earlier. And it's like, oh, hello. And she has a funny moment where Fudge asks her, okay, so what did they look like? And the little old lady goes, well, one was fat and one was skinny. <laughs> Fudge is like, not the boys, the Dementors. By the uh, way, is she a muggle? Um, she's a squib. Do, have I explained what a squib is? Is that a, a non-magic a, person born to magical people? Yes. So after that, Dumbledore's still pleading Harry's case, and he basically pleads with Fudge. He's like, listen, you need to see reason. Voldemort has returned. And Fudge is like, nope, nope, nope. He's not back. Nope. And then they're forced to go to a vote, and everyone believes Harry so Fudge begrudgingly clears Harry of all charges and he's reinstated at Hogwarts. But something very strange happens after this hearing. Immediately after everything is said and done, Dumbledore, without even looking at Harry, turns tails and fucking storms off without even acknowledging Harry at all. I, I know this gets explained later, but this explanation is really stupid. And it's... I'm just going to place that here because it's stupid, but we will get to it later why it is really stupid. Um, okay, I will kind of agree with you, and here's why. The way it's explained in the movie is very rushed and stupid, but the actual explanation I don't think is stupid. But we'll get there, don't you worry. So now that all that's said and done, we go back to school. We get a little cameo from Snuffles the dog here because little Sirius in his dog form trotting along next to Harry. He wanted to say goodbye, so he sneaks off with Harry to say goodbye at the at the train station. He gives Harry a picture of the First Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, and his dad's in there, and Neville's parents are also in there. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, well, Sirius also goes, oh yeah, these people died. These people died. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like a lot of people died. I like Sirius. But it's fine. <laughs> You're going to be fine. <laughs> we go on the train. We get to Hogwarts. We, of course, get Draco Malfoy being a little shit to Harry because it is what needs to be done. You know, sky is blue. Grass is green. Draco, Draco is, is shit. shit. <laughs> That's just the circle of life. As the kids get off the train, they go to get on these carriages, which up to this point... As far as we know, the carriages have always had nothing pulling them. It's just like, magic carriages. Ah. But this time, Harry looks at the carriages and he sees this very skeletal looking CGI horse pulling the carriage. And he's like, what the hell is that? And everyone else is like, what are you talking about? It turns out that this creature is a Thestral. And the reason that Harry can see it and one other particular character in the movie can see it is because the only people that can see these creatures are people that have witnessed death. So the fact that he can see these Thestrals is just a, a painful reminder of the crap that Harry has been through. But then we get introduced to one of the most weird characters. Yes. She is basically quirky for quirk's sake. Oh, yes, she is very quirky for quirk's sakes. We're talking about Luna Lovegood, played by Ivana Lynch. She's got this like weird monotone way she talks. I don't know why they made that choice. Like, I get it. Okay, she can see these dead things just like Harry. Yes, because her mom died when she was a kid. But 
Do you have to make her so off-putting? She's just, yeah. Well, I mean, she's, I, I connect with Luna on that front because I was a little weirdo at that age. It was very awkward. But Ivana Lynch, <laughs> uh, this was her film debut. A, a whopping 15,000 girls auditioned for this role and she got it. So I think that's pretty crazy. Sorcerer Ronan was one of the people that auditioned for this role. I think so. And she's she, she got perfectly it. fine for herself. No, I'm just saying, like, you yeah. know, she beats Sorcerer Ronan. That's pretty cool. That is pretty good. I would put that on my resume. She She's definitely annoying a little bit in this film. And I feel like they introed her weird because they wanted to establish that she's quirky and wacky. And then more towards the end, once we develop her a little bit, she becomes like an actual person. <laughs> Then we get to the big feast in the Great Hall and Dumbledore makes his opening speech to the kids and he's like, hey kids, what's happening? I'm Dumbledore and this is Hogwarts and you're watching Disney Channel. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, and our pieces of information that come out are Hagrid is not here at the moment. Yes, he's on a quote-unquote temporary leave. Yes, and our new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Dolores Umbridge. Played by Imelda Staunton. And this was the producer's only choice to play Umbridge. She is a, a tiny little stout woman. And in the book, not in this. In the book. In the book, she's referred to a lot as a toad face. Imelda Staunton is not a toad face. She's a lovely, I'm sure very kind woman. But the character she plays is a toad face cunt. She is definitely one of the worst villains in the Harry Potter franchise. And Stephen King himself even referred to her as the greatest make-believe villain to come along since Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Which I think is a fucking kick-ass quote. <laughs> That's a good... Wow. I really had to put that in because it was such a good quote. Visually, Umbridge is presented as this pristine, cutesy little old lady. I'm so nice. Hello, children. I want to be your friends. Everything is wonderful, children. And then in reality, she's fucking like Hitler. <laughs> oh, she's psychotic. She's fucking Hitler. <laughs> she basically gives a whole speech about the ministry... Oh yeah, she's like, I'm here to perfect what needs to be perfected. And da, 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 da. And Harry's like looking so confused and he turns to Hermione. He's like, what does that mean? And she's like, that means that the ministry is now interfering in Hogwarts, which yeah. is fucking great. So after this, we get a good taste of how the student body as a whole is reacting to Harry. Because the ministry and the newspapers and everything are churning out a lot of propaganda against Dumbledore and Harry some of the kids in the school think that Harry's a big fat liar and he's just crazy and blah 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 and they give the lines to the worst actor of the series oh don't that's not true he's not the worst in the series I'm sure I can figure out one that's worse he's the worst actor that has shown up in every movie Okay, fine. The kid that plays Seamus <laughs> is not a great actor. I will give you that. But he's he's fine. He can read. <laughs> he can say lines in a coherent-ish fashion. And Seamus, who up to this point has been 
basically just a side character, one of Harry's little side friends. Hiya, Harry. He pipes up and says that him and his mom don't believe Harry actually fought Voldemort. Fuck you. And Harry basically snaps off and goes off on Seamus and calls his mom a stupid bitch. (laughs) But it's a good indicator, if nothing else, to Harry's emotional state at this point. And I think that's one of really the strongest points in the movie. Harry's anger is, he has points of like real volatility. It's developed more as you go through the movie. But in the beginning, when you see those little bits, like, you know, there there are times where he snaps on Ron, when he snaps at Seamus, you feel his frustration and his anger at all the things that he's gone through in his life because it's a lot easier to be angry than it is to feel grief and loss and sadness about things. That is true. Ron does get a good moment because he does defend Harry. Yeah, Ron has a real sweet moment there. Essentially, it helped because, you know what, Ron in the last movie was a little shit. Yeah. And in this movie, he steps up and goes, fuck all of you, and I'm by Harry's side. I I always loved Ron. I know there are times in the franchise where he acts like a little shit. And trust me, Goblet of Fire is not the last time he acts like a little shit in the franchise, unfortunately. But the thing that I really love about Ron is like, skill-wise, magic skill-wise, he's not particularly remarkable. No. Like Hermione is super smart, is super clever. Harry is pretty smart and clever. And, you know, he's like the chosen one, essentially. But Ron doesn't really have anything remarkable about his skill level what makes him such a a strong character is his ability at wizard chess well yes obviously (laughs) he's the chess king but he also is such a devoted friend he's like just a solid fucking best friend character yes but now we cut to the first defense against the dark arts class of miss dolores umbridge all the kids are like, so we're not going to actually do magic? And she's like, no, we're going to read the textbook and copy it so you can have maximum retention. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 basically I, I joke because I wrote down it's theory versus practice. Yeah. And it, this is there's like, we're going to try and teach you theory. But theory does not actually help you when you need to do things. Because <laughs> essentially that's what happens when you go to school you're just fed a whole bunch of things that you have to retain and copy down and repeat just so you can pass the test and then forget about it right exactly and then you go out in the world and you don't know how to write a fucking check or do your taxes and it's like oh fuck (laughs) but i know when the war of 1812 was (laughs) so at this point harry's fucking pissed and he's like what about fighting what's out there what about voldemort and umbridge is like I know you've been told that (laughs) a certain dark wizard is at large, but this is a lie. It's not a lie. (laughs) They start arguing, and then Umbridge is like, detention, Mr. Potter. Uh, But yeah, because she does bring up the the standardized test here, the owls, and I just kept thinking of fucking uh, a very Potter musical. Oh my god, yeah. Oh, since you mentioned a, a very Potter musical... I have to mention, in the sequel to A Very Potter Musical, which I, I did mention in an earlier episode, it's a internet musical that was done by the group Star Kid. If you've never seen it, please go look it up. It's fucking amazing. But in the sequel, 
they have the Umbridge character, and she is played by a very muscular man <laughs> in a pink dress and a blonde wig. I am woman. Hear me smash! <laughs> It's just iconic, and I implore you, if you haven't seen it, to please go watch it, simply for that performance alone. Yeah, honestly, go watch all three of them. They're all pretty damn good. But Harry goes to detention in Professor Umbridge's office, and her office is completely pink, and it's covered head to toe in, you know, how old grandmas have decorative plates on their walls? Oh, yeah that but the all the plates have little kitties on them <laughs> that all actually meow <laughs> it's so horrible and what does she do fucking blood magic yeah i said to scott i'm like you think she's crazy now watch this though she this fucking woman makes harry write uh, in a quill every time he writes he's cutting his hand with like Thanks. i must not tell lies uh, like he's fucking Bart Simpson in fucking the beginning yeah, of The yeah. Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> just writing it over and over. She's like, you have to write it as many times as it takes for it to sink in. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. But he's clearly struggling with everything that's going on. And he's pushing his friends away. He's, you know, he's snapping at Ron and Hermione and just kind of walking away from them. Like even Hermione says at one point, because Harry's like, you guys don't understand. And he goes to walk away. And Hermione's like, well, help us too. We want to help you. And he just fucks off. And it's like, ugh. But then he has a cute scene with Luna, which thankfully is not as quirky and wacky as the last one. It's more kind of subdued with her. But it, she basically tells Harry, listen, I believe you about and Dumbledore about what happened with Cedric and Voldemort and everything. And he's like, thanks, I, I really appreciate it. You're probably one of the only people that does. And she's like, no, I don't think that's true. Don't worry. I think you have more friends in your in your life than you think you do. You know, you'll you'll be all right. Basically just comforting him. And this it was is, really a sweet moment. This is also the scene where Nargles have stolen her shoes. Allegedly, yes. She She's often talking about these imaginary creatures that don't exist called Nargles. But it's fine. We ignore that because this is a sweet moment, Scott. <laughs> Don't take that away from Luna, okay? But after this, we hear Umbridge and McGonagall having a little spat in the hallway. And what's a bummer about this is that throughout the entire book, McGonagall and Umbridge are catfighting, like playing mental tennis the whole fucking time because they both think they're the head bitch in charge, you know? But McGonagall, let's be real, McGonagall is the real HBIC. But... They just have this great back and forth throughout the whole book, and they kind of cut that, for the most part, out of the movie. But basically, Umbridge says, This school is far more unorganized and unorthodox than I previously thought. I'm going to have to talk to the minister about this. And then the next scene you see is August Filch, the resident Hogwarts janitor, hammering in this sign on the wall, a decree, an official ministry decree that Professor Dolores Umbridge is now the High Inquisitor of Hogwarts, meaning that the ministry has given her the power to fire people and create rules in the school. Basically trying to fucking upend Dumbledore's role in the school. 
So immediately Umbridge starts making rules and decrees left and right in the school. And she starts giving the teachers examinations. You know how like when you were in school and the principal or whatever would like sit in the back of the classroom and... And suddenly your teacher would try and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Engrade your teacher. Yeah. That's basically what she would do to all the teachers. And and the one who fails the hardest. Yeah. Is Professor Trelawney. Played once again by Emma Thompson. And I mean, we, we all kind of saw this coming, right? I mean, she is kind of a quack for the most part anyway. I mean, once in a while she doles out a real prophecy, but she she's mostly a quack. <laughs> Despite her being a quack, though... The preceding scene of her being sacked from Hogwarts is incredibly sad. Yes, because she has nowhere else to go. She's crying. Yeah, all the kids are just standing around watching her, standing there, and Umbridge is telling her to leave, and she's got her suitcases, and she's like, well, tough shit, bitch, bye. Don't let the door hit you where the good lord split ya. And Dumbledore comes in to save the day, as Gra- usual. Grand entrance. Door oh, yeah. opens. Oh, yeah. Like a boss. He comes in and he says that Trelawney can stay. He says to Umbridge very calmly and succinctly, you have the right to fire people from working here, Dolores, but you don't have the right to tell them to leave the grounds. That's my job. I'm the headmaster. And she's like, for now... So after all this, he goes walking away. Harry chases after him. It's like, Dumbledore! Dumbledore! And nothing. And like, you know he hears him. And he's like purposely ignoring him. I know you heard me, you son of a it's, bitch. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck is going on? But our trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, our trio supreme, they're sitting around, and Hermione suggests that they get a group of kids together And Harry, teach them defense against the dark arts because they need to be prepared for what's fucking out there. So Harry's a little hesitant, but he agrees to at least meet with people and talk about it. So they go to a bar in Hogsmeade. A bunch of kids show up, including the Weasley twins, Fred and George. Ginny's there. Cho Chang is there. Luna's there. Neville's there. And a bunch of other kids. As they have this big meeting... Uh, one kid goes, so what happened to Cedric? And, of course, Harry's like, this isn't about me telling you what happened to fucking Cedric. Uh, this is fucking worthless. And they're like, no, Harry. Uh, Harry Potter is the person who killed the basilisk, fall off the mentors, all this good stuff. And Harry's like, I lucked into half of that shit. But the truth is, you got to know how to defend yourself because if you don't, you're going to die. In, in school, you can fuck up and then try again. But in the real world... It's kill or be killed. It's, it's a pretty powerful scene, honestly. And you really see Harry's potential as a leader here, which I like. Yes, he, he does a good job. It is, I, I did write down, that was a good speech, Potter. That'll do, Pig. That'll do. So all the kids sign up under a list. And the title of the list reads, Dumbledore's Army, which is, is pretty boss. But the problem is now they have to find a place for them all to meet up and... Train. Yeah, exactly. We need a place for our montage. Yes, we do get a training montage, which is a good deal of fun. We'll get there in a second. But by dink, Umbridge decides to put a decree out the next day saying, 
There will be no more after-school activities or clubs or anything. Anything fun is banned at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the other thing that is mentioned after this meeting while, you know, all of them are chatting in this little cluster. How dare they? A bunch of friends be in a cluster talking? Oh, my God. They must be conspiring against the ministry. I mean... They are, but <laughs> like just because a group of people are talking together doesn't mean they're conspiring to form a revolution, is my point. But in this moment, Hermione looks at Harry and she's like, well, one good thing came out of this meeting. And Harry's like, what? And she's like, Cho can take her eyes off you. And it's like, okay, first of all, that wasn't really established in the meeting. She was there, but like she didn't look particularly horny for Harry in that moment. But, but well, she did they say- do establish now that Cho, is, that Cho and Harry is still a thing. Don't worry. That only lasts for this movie. And then we move on to Ginny. <laughs> but who stumbles on their practice facility? Oh, yes. Uh, Neville happens to find the perfect place for Dumbledore's army to assemble. It is called the Room of Requirement, which is basically like a, a makeshift room that appears in Hogwarts whenever the seeker really needs a place to go. Ron actually explains it very simply. He explains it like this. So if you're walking through the halls and you really need a toilet and you think about it real hard, a big room will appear with a bunch of toilets in it. Wait, 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 wait. I thought you would just poop randomly on the floor and just wish it away. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. It's so fucking stupid. That's something that no one was wondering. <laughs> no one was wondering, hey, how did wizards and witches poop before plumbing? Before plumbing existed. No one was wondering that. So now we get our montage of Harry conducting several DA meetings in juxtaposition with Umbridge's classes and her just being generally horrible throughout the school. And she also establishes the quote-unquote inquisitorial squad, which is made up of three people. Guess which three? Um, I'm gonna say Draco, Crab, and Goyle? Yes! Ding, ding, ding! You're so smart, Scotty. But basically the montage uh, is... Harry really kicking ass as a teacher and slowly but surely everyone's getting better even Neville is having some improvement so at the end of the montage Harry gives a little ending speech because they're breaking for the holidays and Cho and Harry are doing some flirting the class clears out and it's just Harry and Cho in the room of course she brings up Cedric because the poor girl had a boyfriend that died so you know it's a pretty traumatic thing I can understand that But magically, some mistletoe appears above them because, you know, it's the holidays and it's a magic school. Well, I was going to say it's the room of requirements. So, oh, yeah, they require. Ooh, Scotty, I didn't even think of that. That's so clever. Thank you. You're a clever little boy. You're so cute. (laughs) So the mistletoe appears and they have a little awkward moment and then they kiss. And um, it's a pretty awkward kiss. Uh, At least, you know, aesthetically, it's not the greatest, but it's his first kiss and no one has an unawkward first kiss. So I'll allow it. But after this whole thing, Harry has a dream. Now, throughout the movie, 
he's had this same dream basically of him walking through a dark hallway towards a door and a bunch of flashes that really aren't very discernible but this dream is a little more complex he dreams the same dark hallway and he goes into this room this mysterious dark room and in the room he sees Arthur Weasley he sees Arthur Weasley being attacked by a snake Voldemort's snake to be exact only he doesn't see it like secondhand he is the snake yes he he sees the snake attacking Arthur as himself so he freaks out he wakes up in like a cold sweat and immediately runs to Dumbledore and Dumbledore he's still not really acknowledging Harry not really even looking at him in the eye even when he asks some questions about the dream, he's not even looking at him. And he starts giving orders to people like, go here and do this. Go get Arthur. Go get the kids. Do this, do that. And Harry is getting frustrated. And he has a moment where all of a sudden he just goes, look at me. And Dumbledore turns around and is like, oh, fuck. And then Snape walks in. Now, Snape, we didn't establish this before, but Snape is a member of the Order of the Phoenix because Snape is trusted by Dumbledore. Dumbledore tells Snape, you have to take Harry and you need to teach him occlumency. What is occlumency, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you. Snape explains to Harry, Dumbledore believes that your mind and Voldemort's mind are connected. We think as of right now anyway, that he doesn't know about this connection. But if he does know, it could potentially be used to manipulate you so we need to teach you how to block your mind from outside influence. So he dives into Harry Potter's mind. And, and these lessons have to continue until Harry just fucking gets it. But it's, it's incredibly mentally taxing and painful. So it's a whole big to do. But thankfully he gets a little bit of a reprieve because he goes back to Sirius's house with the Weasleys and Hermione for Christmas. We have Arthur Weasley returning to the house from the hospital because thankfully they were able to save Arthur because Harry alerted them in time for them to save him. And Arthur actually toasts Harry and thanks him for basically saving his life. But I think right now is a good time to mention the hospital because in the book, the kids actually go to the hospital to visit Arthur and they run into a couple of crazy characters. The first being, remember um, Gilderoy Lockhart? Yes. They run into him. Ah. They remember him, crazy old Kenneth Branagh from the second movie? Yeah, who, he's there. Who can't remember anything? Yep, can't remember anything still. So that's like a fun little moment. But then we have a not so fun little moment where we run into Neville because he's visiting his parents. Neville's parents, when he was a baby, they were tortured into insanity. It's such a sad scene in the book. And... They do bring up Neville's parents in the movie and Neville's connection with them and his desire to make them proud and everything. And because they were part of the original Order of the Phoenix. Yes, they are in the picture. But yeah, in the book, it's just such a sad scene because he's sitting there with his parents and his mother shuffles up to him and he's like, oh, hi, mom. Hi. And 
she just doesn't say anything and she just gives him like a crumpled up candy wrapper and he's like oh thanks mom thanks and (laughs) instead of throwing it out he like folds it up really sweetly and puts it in his pocket and it's like oh it's like it tears your heart but anyway back at uh the serious black household Sirius and Harry have a nice little heart-to-heart. They go into this room where they have this mural on the wall of the Black family tree. And this is where we get our first introduction to Bellatrix Lestrange, who is a Death Eater and also Sirius's cousin. Spoiler alert, she will be in this movie in just a little bit. And she's played by Helena Bonham Carter. Sirius explains to Harry that he was disowned from his family for not following their pure blood mania that they have in their family and that when he got kicked out of his house he went to James Potter's house and he was like I was always welcome there kind of like how Harry's always welcome at the Weasleys but the main point of this conversation is Harry talks to Sirius about how he's scared about these visions and dreams he's getting and how he's angry all the time and he doesn't know why. And Harry's basically scared that he's becoming more like Voldemort. And Sirius reassures him. He's like, Harry, you are a good person. We all have light and dark inside of us. What matters is the part that we act on. That's what matters. And yes, that is a good speech. Yes, it is a good fatherly moment. Oh my god, we we have this one line, guys, that just made me want to kill myself. (laughs) The kids are going back to school, and Sirius hugs Harry and says, when this is over, we'll be a proper family, I promise. And I just wanted to throw myself down a flight of stairs. (laughs) My emotions! My emotions! But anyway, um, we go back to school, and Hagrid's back! Yay! Yes, and and Umbridge tells him, don't get comfortable. But Hagrid says that Dumbledore had sent him off to meet with the Giants and try to get them on their side. He's not really sure how it went. It's kind of, you know, up in the air, but we'll see. But now we get a massive breakout in Azkaban. Multiple Death Eaters are released, including Bellatrix Lestrange. Oh, how convenient. We just talked about her and now she's free from Azkaban on the run with Voldemort. (gasps) But apparently some people are starting to doubt the ministry and the newspaper's propaganda because at this point, Seamus goes to Harry and apologizes to him and says he believes him now. And Scott was not convinced. (laughs) No, I don't believe that little shit. But after this, we go to a meeting of Dumbledore's army. They make Patronuses and they fly their little aminals around. It's very fun. Until... The walls start shaking, and then suddenly there's a hole in the wall, and on the other side of the wall is Umbridge. She takes Harry, drags him to Dumbledore's office with Fudge, and Cho is with her. So you automatically go, Cho turned state's evidence? Yeah, and everyone hates Cho now because they're like, you fucking rat. You dirty rat. But... It is later revealed that she was forced to reveal the truth about the group because... She was drugged. Yes, with truth potion. But we go back to kind of the philosophical aspect of the movie where Harry feels betrayed by all this and he feels bad because he got everyone in trouble. And he basically questions whether it's better to have friends and have people you care about in your life and risk losing them or hurting them or if it's better to just go at it alone. But after they're caught, as Scott said, they get dragged to Dumbledore's office. And then we get the fucking 
kick-ass scene with Dumbledore. <laughs> Where basically they're like, we're going to take you to Azkaban, Dumbledore. Dumbled- because this list says Dumbledore's army. You're organizing a, an army to attack us. Yes, and Dumbledore looks at them and goes, now see, your first issue is thinking that I would just go quietly. <laughs> yeah, that's like the best line. Like, oh, I'm not going to be coming quietly, as they say. <laughs> Fox comes flying down. Dumbledore claps up and boom, he's gone in a blaze of fucking fire. Yeah. Unfortunately, because Dumbledore is now on the run, Umbridge has become headmaster of Hogwarts school. Now she's just turned into a complete dictator, not just giving torturous punishments to Harry like every other fucking day. Now she's giving them to other students, fucking running around wreaking havoc everywhere she goes. And during all this, Snape is still trying to help Harry. Snape is still trying to get Harry's mind strong to protect him against... Voldemort, but Harry's finally at one point in the fit of having enough goes into Snape's mind. Yeah, he bounces Snape's spell off and bounces it back to him, and he sees inside his memories. And Snape was a loner kid who got abused by James Potter. The thing is, Snape, even in especially in this movie, talks a lot of shit about James Potter, saying he's lazy and arrogant and a swine and all this horrible shit and like harry never knew his father but it's his father so of course he's gonna defend him but at this point he sees into the memories and he's like oh my dad kind of was a little bit of an asshole (laughs) like he was a little bit of a bully to snape oh like in the book it expands on that a little bit like how he felt about watching that they don't really touch on that at all in this but yeah james potter bullied the shit out of snape Snape says, I'm not giving you any more lessons. Fuck you. Get the kicks, yeah, fuck kick, out. <laughs> yeah, kicks him out. But then he's with Rod and Hermione. And Hagrid comes up trying to be stealthy. You're, yeah, you're half giant. You can't hide. He's like, kids, you got to come with me into the dark forest for a second. <laughs> so they go into the forest and the kids are like, what the fuck's going on? We're- Hagrid establishes, be careful. There are a lot of centaurs out here because the ministry is fucking with their territory a lot. Hagrid brings out the foreshadowing hammer again. We haven't oh, yeah. had it for a while, but it comes back here. We go deep into the forest with Hagrid, and he introduces us to his little friend, actually his brother, a giant named Grop. G-R-A-W-P. <laughs> Hagrid found him with the giants and took him home with him. Cause he's like, I couldn't leave him. He's my family. He's the only family I have. And like, he picks up Hermione at one point and Hagrid's like, no, Grop, we don't do that. We don't pick up people. <laughs> and then Ron hits him with like a stick and he's like, you stay away from her. <laughs> but Hermione gives him a firm hand. Oh, she gives him the mom voice. <laughs> She's like, Grop, put me down. <laughs> Basically, Hagrid is showing them this giant because he's afraid that Umbridge is going to fire him and he won't be able to take care of him. So he introduces them to him so they can take care of him when he's gone. But in this dark force, Uh there are centaurs. Uh There are giant spiders. Uh There's unicorns. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. This dark force has so much shit. There's a lot going on. (laughs) We could probably have a whole movie just about the dark forest. But in the midst of all this chaos... Harry passes out and he gets a vision of Sirius being tortured by Voldemort. Only he is actually Voldemort. It's from Voldemort's perspective. 
and they're in that secret room, the same room that Arthur was attacked in earlier. And he hears Voldemort mention something about a prophecy and the Department of Mysteries. Ooh. After he gets this vision, he's rushing away with Hermione and Ron. And Hermione's like, have we thought about the fact that this could be a fucking trap? And Harry's literally like, I don't care. And Hermione's like, no, no, no. We should at least try to get in touch with Sirius. So they decide to break into Umbridge's office because that's really the only way that you can get a message out undetected because Umbridge is watching everywhere. They They go into the office and they immediately get caught. Yes, and Umbridge is basically like, you were going to Dumbledore, weren't you? Snape actually comes in the office then, and she says to Snape, oh, give me that truth potion so I can find out what Harry knows about Dumbledore's whereabouts. And Snape's like, well, I don't have any more because we used it on you interrogating Cho Chang. But as Snape is leaving, Harry screams out, he has Padfoot in the place where it's hidden. And Umbridge is like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? What's Padfoot? Yeah. And Snape just turns around. He's like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what he's talking about. Bye. And Snape leaves. After that, Umbridge is still trying to get information out of Harry. She actually threatens to use the Cruciatus curse on him to get out the information. So she's she's a crazy ass fucking bitch. Oh, yeah. She She is, like we said, fucking Hitler. But before she can do that. Hermione basically convinces her that, oh, Dumbledore has a secret weapon hidden in the dark forest. So Hermione and Harry end up leading her into the forest. Yes, where Hermione's plan is to have Hagrid's brother, like, attack Umbridge. But what comes out of the woods? The centaurs, who are pissed. Eventually, she actually gets the upper hand on the centaurs but then Grop enters and saves the day by picking up Umbridge and shaking her around (laughs) he drops her and the centaurs fucking drag her away yeah and Umbridge says to Harry oh tell them I mean no harm and Harry gives out a fucking kick ass line here he goes sorry professor I must not tell lies (laughs) but uh, Hermione and Harry meet up with Ron, who escaped the Inquisitorial squad, which was holding him. Also, Neville, Luna, and Ginny are with him. And they're all like, okay, well, we're going to go with you to rescue Sirius. And Harry's like really hesitant about that. He's like, listen, I don't want you guys to get hurt. And they're like, no, we're in this together. We're all in this together. We're all in this. I was waiting for it. I saw it in Frankie's face. I knew it was coming. (laughs) I mean, I can't go a whole episode without making either a High School Musical reference or a Hamilton reference. So how are we going to get to the Ministry of Magic, which is where the Department of Mysteries is? Fly, Thestrals, fly! They use the Thestrals to fly to the Ministry of Magic. They get to the Department of Mysteries, which is a huge, huge room full of shelves. And on these shelves are a bunch of crystal ball looking objects. Yes. But one calls out to Harry. He goes, picks up the prophecy. And immediately when he does that, he hears Lucius Malfoy say, hand over the prophecy, Potter. Lucius is there. Along with several other Death Eaters, including Bellatrix Lestrange. 
they tell Harry that ha 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 jokes on you that vision was a false memory implanted by Voldemort to get you to come here because only the people that prophecies are about can take the prophecy but okay in the same breath because this prophecy is also about Voldemort couldn't he have just well he could but then if he goes walking into the ministry of magic they're gonna know pretty certainly that he's alive so he can't just waltz in there All by these himself guys appear by smoke yeah no it's, he could have gotten in there pretty fucking no, easily it's not that simple sky i think it'd be that simple oh okay well when you become the dark lord of the wizarding world i'll be sure to follow you staunchly because you think everything is simple so this leads to a nice little battle yes before the battle actually starts harry is able to hear part of the prophecy i do want to mention that basically the the main points of the prophecy are are as follows it says the one who will have the power to vanquish the dark lord is coming he will mark him as his equal and one cannot live while the other survives so what you're saying is there can only be one correct check out our highlander episode for more on that so this battle begins everybody's Firing off shots from yeah. their wand. Yeah, it's a pretty epic battle. It's even more involved in the book, but I think in the in the movie they do it really well. Yeah, to the point where finally they're surrounded and Ginny lets off a gigantic blast, basically destroying this entire area. Oh yeah, girl. And like Harry gives her a look at one point when she gets off a good spell. Yeah. And it's like, damn girl, like Dang. like you can tell he's turned on a little bit. <laughs> The Death Eaters catch up with them, kind of swirl around in a big gust of black smoke. And a bunch of Death Eaters have all of the kids, except for Harry, at wand point. And Harry is on the ground holding the prophecy. And Lucius is like, okay, here's the deal, Harry. You give me the prophecy or we kill all your fucking friends. So what's it going to be? And he doesn't really even hesitate. He just kind of picks it up and gives it to him. But then as he hands the prophecy to Lucius... Who comes up from behind? Sirius Black going, Yes! Get away from my godson, you son of a bitch. And <laughs> punches Malfoy in the face. Oh, God. It's so satisfying. I didn't remember the punch in the face. It just, it was very satisfying. Because, you know, all the fights in this movie, for the most part, it's a lot of wands swiveling and swishing around. There's very few punches in the face. It's like the fucking punch with Hermione and Draco. It's very satisfying when it happens. <laughs> But Lucius drops the prophecy and it breaks. And uh, a fight ensues. Multiple Order of the Phoenix people are there and they start fighting the Death Eaters. Sirius goes to protect Harry. They're both fighting Lucius at one point. Yes, Harry disarms Lucius and Sirius looks at him and goes, Great spell, James. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, it hurts. It hurts so bad. <laughs> I know I've been saying this a lot, but it's more expanded in the book. Like how he looks at Harry and he sees... James because not only does he look like him he kind of is personality wise like him and James was his best friend and if you really think about it Sirius is a, a very interesting character he spent over a decade in Azkaban for a crime he didn't commit knowing he was innocent and knowing his friends were all dead and his other friend basically led to his death 
and then he gets out and he can't even be free really he's always on the run he's held up in this house and he never really got a chance probably to really grieve james no because he was tortured to fuck you know so it's just oh god it's just so sad when you think about it but as sirius and harry disarm lucius right at that moment Bellatrix winds up, says, Avada Kedavra, and wields it at Sirius, and it hits him right in the chest. And just in a split second, oh, God, it's such a good fucking scene. He, like, has a moment, and he's just gone. And it's like, what? Wait, what? It just happens in a split fucking second. I, I, and a it, bit. It, it is shocking. It's more shocking because in most movies you get, oh, this is a big thing, this is a huge moment. This felt very much too quick for me. I I totally get that, though. But I honestly, I felt both ways about it when I watched it in the past. But I this time when I watched it, I really appreciated it, I think, because it really establishes for the audience, like, when it's over, it's over. And Bellatrix like goes running off, goes, I killed Sirius Black. Yeah. <laughs> right after the death scene, too, they have a moment where, like, it's in kind of slow-mo and the sound is cut out and you just see Harry screaming and Lupin's, like, holding him back. And, ugh, it's so sad. And Harry goes chasing after Bellatrix. He knocks her to the ground with a spell and he's got his wand pointed at her. And this is our first appearance of this movie of Voldemort. But just as Voldy shows up, guess who has another killer entrance? Dumbledore! <laughs> he comes in through the motherfucking fire and he's like, hello, everyone. Voldemort and Dumbledore fight. There's- Bellatrix escapes. Yes. Voldemort actually soon escapes as well because he's always been scared of Dumbledore. But as soon as Voldemort disappears, Harry has this odd reaction. He falls to the ground and Voldemort's possessing him. He does it essentially in an effort to get Dumbledore to kill Harry. And while Voldemort is possessing Harry, he gets these like flashes and really scary images in conjunction with happy memories and memories of his friends. And the memories of his friends and their love essentially kind of overpowers Voldemort and Harry kind of gains control. And he tells Voldemort that he's the weak one because he'll never know love. And then Voldemort leaves Harry's being and he says you're a fool Harry Potter and you will lose and then he goes (laughs) but then as he's leaving finally for the love of God finally Cornelius Fudge shows up and he actually sees Voldemort with his own eyes and he says he's back no shit Sherlock really bitch really we said this fucking a movie ago and you didn't listen So, after this scene, Dumbledore and Harry have a talk. Now, in the book, (laughs) the the talk is a lot more extensive. But basically, what's explained in the scene is Dumbledore was avoiding Harry throughout the whole movie because he knew that there was a good chance that Voldemort could access Harry's mind and thoughts and being at some point. And he was concerned about that. And he knows how much Voldemort hates him. So he just kind of stayed away. It's not really explained well in the movie. I'll give you that, Scott, because I can see your face. But in the book, again, it is explained a little better. 
And Dumbledore also in the book expresses real remorse about it. He cries in the book about it. Like he feels really bad and he blames himself for Sirius's death. He just blames himself for a lot of shit that happened in this movie. In the scene though, because it's Michael Gambon's version of Dumbledore, he kind of gives a very aloof vibe. I sat there and I was just like, that kind of just feels like a bullshit yeah, I mean, I I get it. I do. It's not it's not executed well in the movie, so I do understand that. But he also talks to Harry about the prophecy, and Harry asks him like, "So is it real? Like, is is it, is it true that one of us is gonna have to kill each other in the end?" And he's like, "Yeah, I didn't want to tell you before because you're a fucking child, and I didn't want to put you through that. But yeah, now you know, so I gotta tell you. Yeah, it's true. So Scott, we're here. It's time." Oh, it's time? It's it's time, baby. We're going to explain the unexplainable. Okay, hit me. <laughs> so in the book, Dumbledore does explain why Harry always had to be with the Dursleys. We established in the previous episodes that the reason that Harry was saved is because Harry's mom sacrificed herself to save him. So when Harry was a little baby... Dumbledore thought that that love, that power, that bloodline between Harry and his mother would be the key to really protect Harry moving forward because it protected him in this moment. You're already smirking, Scott. I'm explaining it, okay? Now, Dumbledore knew that Lily Potter had a sister, Petunia Dursley. So he performed a charm on Harry basically adding extra power to that bloodline and the only way that that power could be enforced is if Harry was around his mother's bloodline and his mother's bloodline is Petunia Dursley and that's the fucking story I can see your face Scott Scott is not satisfied what did i tell you guys he's not satisfied with the answer but that's the answer love saves the fucking day scott can you not accept it love will find a way love will keep us together you locked the kid in the fucking staircase for years well to be fair dumbledore didn't say she couldn't do that she just said you have to keep him in the house I'm not saying that it's a perfect solution. I'm just saying that that was the solution. That was the way that Dumbledore knew that he could be kept safe while he grew up. But once he has now grown up and now can go to the school, just leave him at the school with Dumbledore and the fucking rest of the people. They don't stay at the school all the time, though. (laughs) He's grown up. He can stay with the Weasleys. He's... No, he's not grown up, though. He's 15, Scott. I know he looks like 25 in the movie. He's fucking 15 years old. You know what? He can emancipate himself. No, but then, you know, he'll die like because Voldemort will find him. Voldemort finds him every year. Look, Scott, I don't I don't make the rules here, okay? Every year. This is the explanation that I was given by the books and the movies, and this is what we have. <laughs> I I understand it's a little flimsy, okay? A little? It's a little flimsy. It can be knocked over by a strong gust of wind. <laughs> but the underlying message of it is nice. It's a strong message of love. It's nice, okay? Just let it be nice. <laughs> You know what that is? <laughs> That's blowing over this flimsy fucking bullshit. You're such an asshole. 
so we we end the movie on a big helping of hope harry is talking to ron and hermione and he says you know we have something that voldemort doesn't have we have something worth fighting for and that's basically the whole crux of the movie it's they have you a, know they have a girl worth fighting for ah what do we want a girl worth fighting for. but that's basically the whole crux of the movie i think is that like you know yes the people you love can be seen as a weakness because you want to protect them, but it's also... A strength. Right, because you're not alone. It's basically the crux of the majority of the seasons of Supernatural also, which is kind of funny. Oh, God. We almost made it an episode. I know. Well, it's me. What do you want? So that was Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Scott, how do you feel about this movie overall, and what did you rate it? I rated it a four, but it's probably more like a 3.75. A little better than Goblet, but it's not as good as the first three for me. I would agree with that. I do think it's a lot more focused and clear in its messaging than Goblet. I also gave it a four out of five stars. So yeah, now now that we've finished yet another Harry Potter episode. Yes. We are now going to move on next week to our Mother's Day episode, ah! where we will have a very special guest yes. and a very not-so-special movie to talk about. Oh, joy. Oh, rapture. I will be introducing Scott and our special guest to a very, very, very terrible film. I'm so happy. <laughs> But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our musical perfect movie adventure. That was your hint, by the way. Do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart?